Fun. Welcome back to another impactful night. And this time, Education Leadership is episode 150. I'm your host, ID3 for Advent on the 3rd. Track turns are Larry Davis, Daniel Bridges, and Buddy Thorne, plus some changes in pro. Larry Davis, please say hello to the people. Hello. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. And Buddy Thorne, plus some changes in pro. Please say hello again to the people. Good evening, everybody, and uh, good evening to my esteemed panel mates. And I believe tonight is really going to rock the boat. <laughs> Absolutely. And last but not least, Danielle Bridges, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everyone. I am so happy to be here with you all tonight. It's going to be amazing. And with that being said, let's get right to it. Tonight's topic is opening Pandora's box. To create a positive school culture. Follow us. The expression to open a Pandora's box has long been used to describe an act that may have foreseen an unpleasant consequence or consequences. It derives from a Greek myth in which the woman Pandora, driven by curiosity, opens a jar containing various human evils unintentionally loosing them into the world. Building a marquee culture begins by aligning schools, norms, school visions, schools, culture, in order to build a more co-value system. So with this in mind, we are creating an environment where we are developing the whole child from whatever background that they have. And so we need patterns, we need procedures, we need intellect, we need experience, we need influence, we need people that have ego to come to a table, join forces and put egos aside. Mistakes will be made but we should not seek revenge. First, I want to ask the question. Uh, well, first, I want to ask Daniel Bridges, how you doing? Thank you for joining us. And tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing currently. Hi, again. I am Danielle Bridges from New Orleans, Louisiana. And what we focus on here um, with the company Ingenuity Consultants is supporting teachers and principals um, with building teacher wellness programs. I've been an educator for 20 years, uh, special education teacher for 14 years, and um, pursuing a principalship. And then I decided that I wanted to be a change agent on a bigger scale to go in and build these safe and positive school cultures that's needed um, to foster our student achievement and to make sure that our teachers are healthy um, because I truly believe that healthy teachers and healthy students will also yield healthy outcomes. So that is what my passion is around, teacher wellness and making sure that um, teachers and principals and the faculty and staff are in a good mindset and a healthy mindset to be able to support our students who's already coming with a lot on their place as well. 
you know, as you spoke, I thought about uh, pegs. I thought about political, economic, geographical, and social. And, and with all of these uh, different cultures, we have to have rituals because rituals are reoccurring. Uh, they're reoccurring patterns. We need them in the workplace. We need them for employee activities. We need them to build positive energy. We need them to reinforce brand value and, and logos and brand names. And rituals can be led by leaders, right? And they include things such as all staff activities, one-to-one um, -one communication. Media and, and travel are creating rapid cultural changes as well and is making global, globalization spread uh, more quickly and more vastly. Uh, as a English language society that we live in, uh, you know, we are becoming more important in the world because now we have the ability to translate our languages into different other languages and different other cultures. Many influences are now in the mix, right? And so as there is much overlap between cultures, right? We still need ways of measuring uh, the productivity of what's being, uh, what's being done and what's going on on uh, so that we can show outcomes, right? And we know Western culture has uh, been a, a major influence throughout the world. Uh, it's been doing that for years. A lot of migration and immigration are coming to the states, right? And so Western culture difference, differs significantly from those found in uh, those post-Cold War era countries. Uh, we're talking uh, like the Baltics area. We're talking uh, different parts of Africa, North Africa, South East Asia, and other uh, parts of the world. So uh, it, it, is, it is imperative that we must have etiquette uh, we must have compassion. We must have empathy uh, in order for us to have a cohesive, cohesive and a healthy uh, relationship to produce a positive school culture. Uh, let me go to Buddy Thornton. Buddy Thornton, Pastor Shane Judge Pro. What was the first thought that came to your mind when you got the topic for tonight? I had to take a very firm look at what we mean when we say positive school culture and how we define the needs within the school that creates that culture. And when you ask me my questions, I give you my answers. I think you're going to see some pretty hard hitting and rather uh, explosive responses uh, because the biggest thing that we don't have right now today is we don't have positive school cultures, not in most cases. And I think that that needs to be addressed. And just like you mentioned with Pandora's box, uh, yes, she loosed all the evil into the world, but the last thing that came out of that box was hope. And as long as there is hope, there's a way to conquer all that evil. And we have to find a way to find hope so that we can use hope to build those positive school cultures. Absolutely, absolutely. And same question I want to ask to Larry Davis. What was the first thought that came to your mind when you got to talk for tonight? Well, I went first Corinthians thirteen thirteen, And now these three remain faith, love, and hope. And of these three, love is the greatest. Right, because without love, there is no hope. So before I even get started, Buddy Thornton, congratulations on, on volume two. I saw it on social media. That's amazing. 
and uh, Danielle, we need to talk and get together and talk about some things in, in, in the New Orleans school system together. But faith, love, and hope. And here's the thing. I, I know, I, have, I, I truly have faith. And I truly have hope and I truly love the fact that we, we need to do summer education system. But does it do us any good to keep, to keep putting gas in a car that has no motor? The car that, that is the engine, that is the, the driving force of education right now, is totally in disrepair. So we keep trying to fix something. It's like, what is it? Uh, the Bible says a sick, a sick tree will produce sick fruit. And so you put wealthy, I mean, healthy teachers, healthy students, but we plug them into a sick system. And that's the problem. Wow, you know, sometimes we feel so powerless uh, in a a dominated system. We feel so helpless in this system. And but there there is beauty hidden in plain sight. I, I feel like the curiosity has to keep going, uh, and mostly we see it in the children. And sometimes that curiosity is blocked or stopped, and it leaves some children hungry. At least some um, educators empty, and this creates pain. This create and it adds to this pain. I believe adds to the poverty. I believe this pain adds to that sickness you were referring to. I believe that pain adds to the anger because we see the beauty. We see the beauty, and it's hidden in plain sight. But it's like we need. We need to dig it up. We need to we need to rediscover. I feel like, um, and so before I go into that, Daniel uh, Bridges, thank you. And we uh, we want to thank you again for being with us on the podcast. What was the first thoughts that came to your mind when you got the to topic for tonight? When I saw the topic, um, I honed in on where it says the in- unintentional losing of things that happen, and I find that that is what has happened. They, in the uh, education system, have tried so many different things, and to add to um, the points that were already made, especially the car that has no motor, they're constantly trying to revamp, 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 doing the same things, and, you know, I believe insanity means when you do the same thing over and over, you get the same results. So I think that's the cycle that we're in, and that's what I thought about. Something needs to change, and just understanding the cultural piece and that um, the cultural piece that needs to be enhanced in the education system is not based on one lens. It's embracing every culture, every group, everybody needs to be included and feel included. So let me let me open the panel. Let me open the panel because you know I, I feel like there's uh, some hurdles that are standing in the way. Hurdles like maybe ego, right? Uh, hurdles like maybe pride. What are the hurdles that are standing in the way and, and stopping this this reset? This maybe perhaps hard reset and, and, and stopping us from reconnecting uh, to. Uh, our scholars, because you know, really, this what this is what this whole conversation is about. It's about the future of education. It's about our, our scholars, our, our young people. And so, let me open up the panel real quick. What are some of the hurdles 
that we are that we are trying to maybe dissolve or navigate around or navigate through what are some of the hurdles because if we don't address the, the actual problem the actual hurdle uh, uh, you know what do we need to work on specifically let's specify that the panel is open who wants to take that first I just the movie Endgame, Marvel Endgame. It, every time like we talk about something, I think about the the the, the statement that Thanos made. You know, and it's mind blowing by any fictional or non-fictional leader. He said, "As long as there are those who remember what was, there will always be those who will be unable to see what can be. They will resist, and so you can't re. You don't want to revamp something that's it's already been revamped enough. It's time to overhaul it." But as long as we have enough people in place who are married, engaged, or dating that old system of education, and let's be realistic, this system is predicated on an 1865 uh, basis of education, which actually wasn't meant to educate minority students. So as long as we're using that system of education, we're going to fall behind. We're not, you can't change a mindset of you can't change the mindset of something that is already fixed. And this is a fixed system, and so we need to throw it out, revamp it, and look at an education built around children and not around the idea of 18, uh, 18th century white men. I, I have to agree 100% with Larry, and I'm going to add a caveat to that. The entire education system above the boots-on-the-ground level, when you get up to the Department of Education, when you get up to that area, you're talking about political education. You're not talking about boots on the ground education. You're talking about people who are looking at ideology and either they're trying to protect an old, outdated ideology or they're trying to pivot to a new progressive ideology and they don't find any common ground in the middle. And so every time there's a change in the administration or every time someone comes up with an idea, they immediately say, oh, yeah, I think we can try that. We haven't tried that before. And what they're ignoring is that the boots on the ground already know as soon as they even hear the words, that ain't going to work. <laughs> there ain't no way. That's not going to work. i got kids here who need only one thing. I say it in my third and fourth books that I wrote. The only goal of parents, teachers, and caregivers in this world for children is to develop them into fully functional adults. Tell me where in the school system right now, the way it's predicated, the way it's set up, how that happened. You've got some school districts and some teachers who want to teach social skills at the cost of the core education. You've got other people who insist that the core education is all that's necessary and they ignore the social needs of the child. My answer is, why don't we talk to the kids? And why don't we look at what society needs? And why don't we expose the kids to what society needs? And let's let the kids say, no, that doesn't work. And then we take them as the stakeholders in the future, because we certainly are not the stakeholders of the future. They are. We need to give them a voice, and we need to start educating based on their needs, not on our wants. Because that's what happens when you have a leadership core that is so high elevated above boots on the ground that they have absolutely no idea what is happening on campus. I definitely agree with both of you all. Um, and I think that we need to interrupt the chaos um, it's because everything is just so chaotic in the educational system. And I think a lot of people are afraid 
to voice the needs of the student. Um, as Buddy was saying, we need to go back and ask our students. Ask the students what's the need, how are you feeling, how can we connect, and talk to those, um, as he said, the future stakeholders and the people that are in charge and calling the shots who have been well removed from the classroom, may not have even ever been in the classroom, um, need to put their egos away, need to get rid of the egos, um, as was stated earlier, and really tap in to what our society needs, you know, because they're always talking about how uh, social media has taken over our generations and our kids, you know, they can't learn because of social media and all of these things. But when are they going to make education appealing to the students again? When are they going to help the students understand the value of taking ownership of their own education and it's going to come from um, the change agents. It's going to come from people like us voicing the needs of the students so that those uh, legislators and the new administration when they come in with their great ideas that they think uh, will not work in the classrooms because they're not the ones actually in the class with the students who are dealing with trauma. They're not the ones that's in the class with the at-risk students, with uh, those high achievers who are sitting in the classroom bored because the curriculum is not culturally responsive to them. Um, you know, just hearing their voice. We have to get back to seeing and hearing the need of the students. They, they're pouring gasoline on a fire. I got two. I want to say two quick things, I'm, and, I'll, and I'll stop. Okay, Buddy, when, when Buddy says social skills, he's talking about social intelligence. Those are actually life skills. But that life skill has been connected with special ed, so nobody wants to teach life skills to generally kids anymore. You need to have social life skills and academic skills, right? And then the other part is, Buddy said, when you go up to the, to the Board of Education, I'm going to drop it down a little bit lower. Sometimes our school boards are so agenda-driven that they get in the way of educating our children. They get rid of great superintendents because that superintendent said no to this parent, so now that parent is not running to the school board, gets elected, and the first thing that parent wants is that superintendent out, and all that parent does is cause havoc. So sometimes it's not so much as even getting to the state level, it's that district-level school board that's causing so much havoc for our children. Listen, y'all y'all start to, all right, let me throw this at you. I'm going to throw a curveball on you because I know y'all going to knock this out the stadium. So the curveball is how are we raising our kids? Where are we raising our kids? Who's raising our kids? And what is raising our kids? Who want to take that first? Well, I'm going to let the educators follow me uh, because I'm going to take the position from outside the school. Because I'm a parent coach and I'm a positive social change agent, what I see is society raising kids. I see parents who are abdicating their responsibility to anyone they can hand it off to, except for a few sets of parents who go against the grain and understand the quality of having an engaging life with their children. So when parents abdicate their position and they give it to whoever will pick up the mantle, regardless of how much damage it does to their kids, it's up to society to raise these kids. Now, 
That means the kids are rudderless. They have no direction. They have no ship. They have no way to steer. So they're going to go wherever society takes them. And right now, society takes them to instant gratification. It takes them to the outsized socialization and creates egregious egos based on influence. And it does not allow them to focus on the core skills and the social skills that they are going to need to blend together so that when they're in their 20s, they don't become uh, anti-social people. Because that's exactly what happens. A much higher percentage of kids now are defined as being antisocial in their, in their late teens and early to mid-20s because they did not learn any of the core values and they also didn't learn socialization because the parents abdicated and then nobody else picked up the stick. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, and just being a special education teacher, for so many years and watching how um, the pipeline is full of African-American boys mainly and they're pushed into special education, they're over-labeled, um, over-diagnosed and under-treated per se academically and it begins at home um, and it's really sad because you have some parents who try their hardest and they do the best that they can they have to work and you know they're not able to be there and then you have on the other end of the spectrum parents who just are not involved and then the students or the child is left to society left to the school to raise them and then you have teachers who are not aware of how to deal with those type of at-risk kids, what they, you know, how they label them or uh, the African-American culture, especially in a brown culture. They're not aware and know how to deal with them. So these students are being labeled and being pushed through the system, not learning those social skills, not learning those academic skills, and then they are becoming non-productive adults. Um, so now the society is raising the kids and, and, and they're not producing anything that's going to be able to be sustainable in our generation. Um, and it's really becoming a pandemic. It's really becoming a crisis because our students, our kids are getting lost in the system because of the instant gratification, because of all that they see on social media and the things that they see before them. They think that's what the reality is, and it's really not. So school is it's the responsibility of the parent, the school, and the community, but there is a disconnect that's happening that we have to get back to. Um, and to uh, Larry's point, especially when he was talking about the district and losing those good superintendents who want to bring in those enrichment programs, who want to bring in those community programs, and then you have some people in the community or that angry parent, if their child don't qualify for it, then they don't want any child to qualify for it. So the equity is not there. It's, it's no equity, and, and the push for equity and equality is being said with words, but it's not being backed with action. Um, and so we're, we're losing. We're losing the battle in the education system for our kids. You know, this can only create revenge. This can only create 
vengeful schemes because you have people that are working together and these people are beautiful people are beautiful God's people are a beautiful creation he said it was good if God said it was very good then it's very good and so what's getting in the way why are we failing why are things not working and that's a hard question to ask I'm not going to ask that but I'm going to ask buddy I'm going to ask you a question buddy Thornton because we call you the positive social change agent pro and in your field you you deal with you manage choices and theories behind those choices and reasons behind those choices and you create curriculum to help us understand why we made those choices so that we can analyze the choices that we made so Buddy Thorne I ask you this question why are our choices failing as educational leaders from the outside looking in what's your thoughts sir the schema that we deal with in the education sphere has been encapsulated and has been shrunk to a point where the teachers at the uh, at the classroom level are boxed in to where they don't have a lot of lever leverage against the system. The system bears down on them. So if you're looking at why our choices fail, it has to be from whoever is actually making the choices that are forcing them into that box. So let's look at the district level. Let's look above the district level. It doesn't matter where the mandates come from. These are the things that I identified. Seven very distinct things. Number one, we don't understand the correct, the correct goal of education. We don't understand that it is to develop fully functional adults. It is not to build entitlements and it's not built to make superstars into super superstars because they're going to get there on their own. They don't need us. But the wrong goals are in place. And when confronted with the truth, the people who are in the leadership positions will not accept the truth. They only accept the agenda that fits their version of the truth. Therefore, they don't understand self-accountability, which is the third thing. And because they don't understand self-accountability and they're not willing to hold themselves accountable to these kids, they either thrust the accountability off on other people or they don't hold the other people accountable either. They only hold them accountable to the agenda. So we've lost the big picture. We've lost the big picture. Now we're ineffective with the kids. And guess what? Those kids are extremely perceptive. They can see exactly what's going on. There's no feedback cycle going on because guess what? We're not asking for anybody's opinion. We're just saying this is the agenda. This is what we have to do. This is what we're going to do. We don't care about your feedback. And because the only thing that's happening in the schools is following an agenda, now you have a lot of teachers who are having a difficult time with classroom management because they're succumbing to the pressure that's thrown on top of them. And the more they try to push against the system and the more they try to actually develop these children into fully functional adults, the more the system says, nope, nope, you're getting outside the box. You can't get outside the box. You've got to get back. So we're failing 
because we don't understand who the actual leader is who's important in this equation. The leader who is important in this equation is the principal and the administrative staff at the campus level and the teachers who are in front of the students because everyone outside of that school is invisible to the student. All they're seeing is the role models in front of them and they're seeing stressed teachers, they're, they're seeing unhappy teachers, they're seeing people who are fighting against a broken system, they're trying to start a car that can't even get out of the garage, much less, much less get down the driveway. And so these kids are only seeing, this is what an education gave us, these broken system addicted people who are going to follow the agenda regardless if it helps us or hurts us. So they lose faith in the system. And like Larry says, if you don't have faith and you don't have love, if you don't love education, you don't love your future, the possibilities that are in front of you, you are going to lose hope. And that is exactly why our choices are failing, because we're putting the leadership in the hands of people who are not in front of the students. Listen, we need to unpack what was just said. So I'm going to open the panel, okay? I can say a lot from what I just heard, but I'm, I'm going to shut up because <laughs> I want to ask the panelists, what were your thoughts on what you just heard Blake Thornton just say? Who wants to go first? The most important point that I took away from that, um, he said so many wonderful things, and I'm still processing it. Um, the role model that is in front of the student that the student sees every day is very important. The students see how the principal interacts with the teachers, how the teachers interact with them as a student, and how they interact with each other. And especially with the teacher shortage and the burnout, um, the stressed teachers, and the teachers are not the only ones that stress. The administrators are stressed also because of all of the mandates that's coming down from the top to the school level. Um, and just reflecting on my childhood as a student raised in New Orleans from a family uh, that had drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and knowing that I could have done anything I wanted to do, but it was that one teacher, uh, Miss Landry, in middle school who took the time out to see me and see me as a person see me as a student, but the only way that she was able to do that is she had to have herself in a stable position and condition and understand the students that were sitting in her classroom. And I think that is the part that is missing um, in the classroom. It's like Buddy said, you know, we have stress teachers. We have a failing system because the people from the top are calling the shots and adding all of these mandates and giving this overload of work and removing the core importance of academics and social skills and lessons and, and uh, emotional intelligence that all need to work together because if I didn't have that teacher who would have had who had all of that impact and was able to show me all of those things I know that I would not have been in the position I would not be in the position that I am now um, so that is what needs to drive our teachers, the education system in our classroom to know that our students are looking at us. Students need to see that positive role model and they need to know that everything is going to be okay. And right now, 
they can see the perspective that it's not going to be okay. It's, it's not looking really positive right now. You know, even though they're saying that they're building positive communities, but whose lens are they looking through for the positivity? It cannot be from one culture and one perspective if we're going to reach all children. Wow, Danielle, you you uh, <laughs> you may have taken every word off the board, and we're playing Scrabble. I don't have any letters left but Z and W. So let me see what I can do with that. <laughs> so you you think you think about this, right? But he said you asked Buddy about choices. Well, the problem with choices in education is every choice in education comes with strings attached, money attached to it, and when that money and those strings are attached to those choices, the choice really isn't there. If you want to con continue to get this kind of funding, you need to do this, this, and this. There are so many points of accountability that teachers don't get fired because students can't count. They get fired because the school didn't make accountability. Well, why didn't the school make accountability? Because the students can't read and can't count. So we've gotten away from educating children. And I say, I say this all the time. Here's, here's two myths in, in the world, right? First of all, Santa Claus is not in the toy business. He's in the Christmas business. Teachers are not in the teaching business. They're in the children business. Education should be about children, and it's not. It has become so adult-centric, so adult-centered. And when you look at what happens, like I remember in 2020, an article came out talking about how far minority children have fallen behind because of the pandemic. We hadn't even tested that year. So where did this data come from? We had the year it stopped. And ended, and all of a sudden they said, African-American children are this many points behind white children. And I was like, and this was Texas. I'm like, where'd you get the data from? We didn't test. We took no, we took no assessment. <laughs> we did no kind of measurement. So where did this data come from? All you have to do is say the right thing, the right buzzword, and you get funding. But that funding comes with strings, and those strings keep people from making good choices. You know, you guys are incredible. You And you keep prompting these questions, these grand tour questioning uh, from me, and I, I want to open the panel up again, but this is the last time I'm opening up the panel because we, you know, we, we got we to gotta, we gotta get to some of this. But the question I want to ask is this, mm. and it's a deep question. Why are so many teachers quitting the profession? Why are so many educators quitting the profession. Let me say this, and that mine is going to be quick. I believe the majority of people who get into education, get into teaching, get in it for a purpose. And they get into a system that takes away their purpose. And once you take away someone's purpose, you take away their reason for getting up, for getting out there and doing things. Because when you have a purpose and it's in your heart, you'll do it for free. So no amount of money can bring that purpose back when the reason you get up and go to work, you see it's not there. You see that no one's supporting you. You see that the system that you once believed in, the ideology and education that you once believed in, no longer exists. It is a political structured system based on political gains, political measurements, systems of reporting, and what's lost in that is the purpose of educating children. I want to add to what Larry said because what Larry said is extremely on point what we call that in the uh, in the business that I'm in from externals from the schools is we call that a loss of intrinsic motivation 
everyone, every coach, every person who's ever been in an athletic event, every person who's ever gotten up on stage and competed in a music uh, competition, it doesn't matter what it is. They're there not because there's a reward. They're there because they have won it. They have passion about it. And the passion has to be evident in the product. Show me where the passion is evident in the product when the passion is beaten out of these teachers. I talked to two teachers, and I have one who works for me on staff who is an ex-teacher. And she says, I left teaching because I was not allowed to teach for the children. She did not say to the children. She said for the children. She said when they took that away from me, my desire to be in the classroom went from 100 to zero in one minute. And that is the straight up truth. And when I ask other teachers that I know who are either still in the classroom or the ones who have left the classroom, 99% mirror that same thought. I'm not allowed to care. I'm not allowed to be there to make these children into what they should become. And as long as that's not there, I won't be there. And that, that is so true. And being brand new out of the classroom and transitioning into my new role as a consultant, um, both of those points are accurate, especially for my life. Um, like I said, I've been doing this for over 20 years, and it had just become so heartbreaking to see the needs of the students not being met. And, you know, many times many times people think that it's about the money, but it's not about the money because when I became a teacher, I had a passion for seeing growth and helping students be the best that they can be. Um, so it wasn't about the money for me. It was the alignment of my vision and my perspective of help, helping students and what I know that I can bring to a child's life because of my past experiences and my trauma, and I know the impact that a teacher had on me, and I wanted to give that back. And when they began to take that and silence my autonomy and silence my creativity in the classroom, um, the passion just, it just dwindled out. And so that's why I'm dedicated as a, a coach to reignite the passion in teachers because I want and I understand the need that we need to have teachers in the classrooms in order to have a productive society and to raise productive adults. So that's my passion. That's why I go back and train and develop teachers to help reignite their passion for education, teaching, and learning. Hey, Isaiah, I'm getting ready to do this. Uh, I'm, I'm preparing a TED Talk, right? And I... I, and in my TED talk, I, I call teachers priority employees. I don't call them teachers. I don't call uh, manufacturer workers, manufacturer workers. I don't call them city line workers. Or city line. I call them priority employees because these are the people that, Buddy said boots on the ground, but these are the people that we bring into our organizations, our school districts, to make us better. And if we hire them to make us better, why are we not talking to them about what's going to make us better? Why are we not tapping into their collective genius? Why are we not talking to the knowledge that they're bringing into organization from another organization? Why are we not using their success to build on that success and to help other teachers become more successful? Why do we think the information has to come from the top? 
when all the knowledge, all the brain power is at the bottom. And Larry Davis, I was about to answer your question, Dr. Davis. So, you know, what are you doing currently? And and when you tell us that, also explain to us how do educators and families enlarge or expand hope in their, their schools and in, in their community as well? You know what? Have you ever seen that teaching cycle? It says August excitement, right? And then in December, it says disillusionment. Because you came in all excited about what you wanted to teach, and then you have this disillusionment because, like Daniel said, you're not able to teach what you want to teach. You're not able to help children. You're not, I mean, why, why are school districts having librarians and school teachers go and log every book in their room and then pass it and see if it's on the reading list? And then if it's not, then give it to another person to see if they can put it on the reading list. I, I don't have a problem with that. I'm not saying every piece of literature is good. However, parents sitting at home, I just remember when I first came in the system principal years and years ago, we had parents coming into the building arguing with us because my child did not bring a book home. And we said, ma'am, we have online books. I don't like that. I want them to have a book in their backpack. And I was like, so as long as you have that old type, that old, that old mindset, that old, old style mentality of, this is what it looks like. This is what it's going to be. There is no expansion. There can be no expansion where there is a system that is already so tight. If you just expand a little bit, it's going to burst. But I'm okay with it. Let it burst, let it break, and let's rebuild it. I got I to gotta well, add one thing to what Larry just said because, sure, Larry, you are absolutely correct. You know, there's a, two types of innovation in the world. And the education system has spent the last 170 years trying to incrementally change a tiny little brick at a time. But sometimes that incremental innovation is worthless when you know it's already broken beyond repair or incremental steps. What you have to do is you have to totally blow up the system, create a whole new system through what we call disruptive innovation, and you have to let the people who are the true experts be the ones who are the catalyst putting together that new beautiful blue ocean where these kids can thrive and that's not going to happen until we convince the politics to get out of the schools and we let the true experts be the ones who drive it i don't like coaching as much as i like mentoring and shepherding i don't ask people to do what i tell them to do i ask them to do what they already know is the right thing to do and that's not going to happen until we completely crush this system and get to disruptively innovate a whole new system. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Wow. You know, I'm, my mind is blown. I know we're out of time. But before we go, let me ask, well, buddy, let, let me ask you one more question. How do you manage friends who do not have similar values and beliefs? How do you do it? When you're looking at someone who has a different skin color or a different heritage or a different culture, they come from somewhere else, and you are not looking in the mirror of your mind, the only possible way you can manage that situation successfully is to open your heart to curiosity. You have to approach them from a position of, I'm not better than you. I'm not worse than you. I'm different from you. 
and I want to know you. I want to know you. When I meet, meet anyone, and it doesn't matter where they're from, when I went to Vietnam, I apologized for not understanding their culture, and I said, can you spend the next 10, 15 minutes explaining to me exactly what it is you're doing and how you're doing it and why you're doing it, what, what makes you happy, what's your passion? And their hearts opened up, their minds opened up, and then their mouths opened up. And as long as I was willing to listen to what they had to say and take it to heart, they became a friend. They didn't become less than. They didn't become an enemy. They became someone that I valued. They're another human being. It doesn't matter if they have the same values or beliefs, because there's almost 8 billion people on the planet. They're entitled to have their own beliefs. We have to honor that. If we expect them to honor our beliefs, we have to honor theirs first. I've always, I hate it when people say respect has to be earned. No. If you want to earn respect, you give respect. You will give it and it will be returned tenfold. That's what it says in the Bible. You must treat people the way you want to be treated because you are influencing them and role modeling to them what you want back. Whether they do it or not is up to them. It's not up to you. But I guarantee you, when you treat people with the right respect and you treat them with curiosity and ask them to share their world with you, possibilities explode. The expansion of your mind and your, your ability to interact with people just grows exponentially. It's just, it's just amazing how it works. And it's just, you know, that's, that's the power of curiosity. Listen, we are out of time, but before we go, tonight was so, my takeaways, tonight was influential. It was, it was so much love. I could feel so much love. It was so much, like you said, buddy, curiosity. I, I, it makes me want to go and study more. It makes me want to go and research more. And it was so beautiful. Let me go to Danielle Bridge real quick. Tell us a little bit about your, your organization and how does your organization take pride in supporting educators to cope, connect, and eliminate turnover. That's what we've been talking about tonight, mostly turnover. So our main focus is reigniting the passion for teaching and learning. So we look at it with the approach of giving a career makeover. Um, we help teachers and educators leverage the skills and the strengths that they already have, like um, Buddy already said, um, we help them to see what what's already there, um, to let them know that you can advocate for yourself. You can have personal challenges and set boundaries and be an awesome teacher. Um, so we give them those coping strategies, uh, just based, you know, from my experiences, and that's where it comes from. My life, uh, my husband had a lot of health issues. I had to leave school sometimes, and it had begun to cause me to second-guess my expertise and my professionalism and my leadership, but I had to overcome that with the grace of God and understand that everything that I have already on the inside of me, God had already given it to me, and I was supposed to go through those things because in your 
pain is going to bring out your purpose. And so that's what we help teachers to understand and, and really accept the calling and understand that teaching is a calling. It's an art. It is a passion that you have to have. It's not something that you just fall into. You have to really love what you do to be a teacher and be able to impact the students because the students feel your energy. And so we just help teachers be able to cope and connect with their kids, be able to deal with their personal issues and know how to balance it all. You know, that work-life balance and leveraging their skills and their strengths so that they can build that community with their co-workers, with their students and with, you know, with the school in general. Wow. Now, give us information about your company as far as how can we get in contact with your website, things of that nature. Yes. Um, the name of my company is Ingenuity Consultants. And um, you can find us. I am the Classroom Connector on Facebook and on Instagram and also on LinkedIn underneath Danielle Bridges. So just send me a DM and we can connect through that way. Absolutely. What are the takeaways for tonight? Who wants to go first? Tonight was amazing. I knew it was going to be dangerous. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, it was amazing. I am so blessed to be on a panel with such amazing uh, gentlemen, and you all are very knowledgeable, and you brought the fire, and I appreciate all of that. I learned a lot from you all. Um, my biggest takeaway is I'm sticking with that role model and just being there and being impactful with the students, and that in order for us to bring change, we cannot be afraid to interrupt the chaos, and those egos have to be removed. We cannot keep revamping the system. It needs to burst and fall down so that we can rebuild it. I want to jump in because I want to give props to both Danielle and Larry, but especially Larry, because I've been on several of these with him. And it's never amazing un enough to me. It always reinvigorates me after I'm on with Larry because he not only brings the passion but he brings the insight that you can only get by being inside the machine. And he's not afraid to speak up and say, hey, I'm inside the machine, but the machine sure looks foreign to me. It looks wrong to me. There's something wrong here. We gotta, we gotta reinvent the wheel here. And it takes a lot of guts and fortitude to stand up and say that and do that because in this divisive environment, you know, you never know who's gonna reach over and say, uh-uh-uh, you're outside of your box. I don't think Larry cares about the box. I think Larry cares about the kids. And that makes him my brother from another mother. And that's, that's important because that's why I share time with him and with you, Isaiah, because that's a passion. These kids are a passion. And even though I've just met Danielle tonight, I can tell that that's her passion. And people need to understand, if you don't have passion, you can't reach these kids. And we need to we need to keep fighting, no matter what the cost. We need to keep fighting because these kids are worth it. So here, here's my takeaway, and buddy, I, I totally agree with you and Danielle. You guys again, uh, I'm glad Isaiah had the uh, the leadership wherewithal to take that script and throw it to the side because we were flowing so well. <laughs> so hats off to the to the uh, MC for the night. But I'll tell you this, my takeaway is this right here. When you start taking things away from people that they love, 
And then you start taking away the love of that thing from them, right? Or you make them feel like there is no more love and no more connection, no more passion in it. Danielle said something about uh, education where our kids want to be a part of it, right? Where they're a part of it. Well, we, we remove that, right? We educate the creativity out of our children. No, no, no. You got This is how you make an A. You only make an A this way. No, you can make an A 25 different ways. There are so many different ways you can show me that you mastered this one objective, not just this one teacher's way of doing it. I believe that if William Shakespeare came back to life right today, he would go into every English classroom in America and go, no, that's not what I meant. You guys have been teaching kids all wrong. So, you know, I think we, we and, and we legislate the creativity out of our teachers. So now, where is the love? The love is gone, and education is in the power. And the power is not in the classroom, and the classroom is not in the house. And guess what? But the house is in the middle of our communities. So we have people who are impacting our children, our families, our homes, our communities, who don't live in our communities, don't even live in our cities, don't live in our states. We have to come back and take back things. We have to take back our education system. We have to, again, I like what he said, we have to fight for our children. But guess what? It's not a fight. We have to stand up for them. And sometimes we need to just say, enough's enough. I get what you're saying, but, you know, like the song by Cameo back in the 80s, you're talking out the side of your neck. You're not saying anything. You're not telling us anything we need to know. You, everything you're saying sounds good, looks good, but it isn't practical. It's not going to work for our children. Again, we don't have standardized children. They don't come from standardized backgrounds. They don't come from standardized homes, and they don't have standardized needs. So how can we have a standardized education system? That's my takeaway. Wow. Buddy Thornton, listen, I, I want you to say this for us. Uh, and I could have said, but it would have been real, not unreal. But I want you to tell us what happened after all of the evilness came out of Pandora's box. What was left? What little thing was left? What beautiful thing was left at the end? When Pandora realized what she had done, she was completely, totally aghast. And she went to close the box, the jar in her case, and she saw climbing out of the box this tiny little sprite, this tiny little angel of hope. And most of the people in today's world look at Pandora's box and they, they talk about, well, that, that just means that you might, if you stick your nose into something, you might open up all kinds of problems and then you're going to have to deal with those problems. And, you know, we teach SWOT analysis because of Pandora's box. A strength can become a weakness if you ignore it. A weakness is the path to being strength, having strength. An opportunity can be wasted. But if you look at a threat and you confront it and you understand it and you let it out into the world, which is what Pandora's box did, it let all these things out into the world. Guess what? They're no longer hidden. They're in plain sight. Everyone could see it. So Pandora was really, really, really angry with herself because she let all this stuff out into the world that was so evil. And Hope looked at her and said, I got you back. I got you back. As long as I'm here, you, everything's going to be all right. We have to give these kids hope because Pandora's box is sitting right there. And we've got all these things happening. But as long as we're that 
last little shred of hope for these kids. And we made sure we keep that light burning. That hope is going to sustain us. Follow us, follow us, follow us, follow us, follow us, follow us.